Water Banter. are live with another episode of the Brown Water Banter Podcast. My name is Jared Seymour. My name is Joey Cates. That's right. And we got a great show for you lined up. In the studio today, we have Jason Soche. He is the uh, director of the Mississippi Department of Marine Resources Shrimp and Crab Bureau. That was a mouthful. I, was but I got it. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, derelict crab trap uh, retrieval program they got coming up in, this month uh, and probably a bunch of cool other stuff as well. But before we jump into that, Let's uh, thank the people who keep the lights on for us over here at the Brownwater Studios, man. Right out of the gate, it's uh, 2024. Like we said, it's the year to smile more. We've got uh, Dr. Robbie Williams over at uh, Southern Magnolia Smiles, man. You can look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Southern Magnolia Smiles. They're located right here, Washington Avenue in Ocean Springs. So when you're ready to book that appointment and get those pearly whites shined up, you can give them a call at 228-215-1202 and tell him that we sent you. Uh, we've got Tyler uh, over at Taylor and Cox Law Firm. They've been practicing law on the Gulf Coast for around 30 years. Uh, if you find yourself in need for legal representation, these are the guys for you. Uh, they specialize in felonies, misdemeanors, DUIs, family law, divorce, child custody. Anything you can think of when it pertains to being represented, they can cover it for you. So uh, give them a shout at 228-696-0111, and we appreciate their support. Uh, Rocky over at Sea to Swamp. You can look him up on Facebook, see the number two, and then Swamp. He's got two locations here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Gaucher and Gulfport. He's got all your tackle and apparel needs covered. He's carrying brown water gear as well. He's slinging kayaks. He's got extra tough boots. He's got rods. He's got reels. You name it, he's got it. Give him a shout. He's local, uh, 228-205-3964. Uh, if you're still trying to get that New Year's resolution, you, well, you missed the first month. So uh, at this point, try again next this year. Point, you just <laughs> you kind of ruined it. But hey, there's, it doesn't mean give up. Um, right now, you can go call Forever Young Men and Women's Health. Let Kendrick do some lab work on you. Put your hand, uh, your health care in the hands of a professional. Maybe you need testosterone replacement. Maybe there's other things going on. Kendrick can figure it out. He can get a plan developed for you, and he can get you off the couch. Give them a shout at 228-363-6623. Tell them that we sent you, okay? And last but not least, Dewey Dewbugs, which is conveniently uh, hosting this year's Bay Rat Bash. Uh, they're located in Diabreville right across the street from uh, the Scarlet Pearl. They, uh, they're slinging all kind of boiled seafood, man. They got some really uh, killer things on the menu and doing something that not a lot of people around here are doing, at least that I'm aware of. Um, and nothing but good uh, reports coming back from people that have gone. So we're proud to uh, host the tournament there this year, and we're glad to have them uh, on board as a sponsor as well. So go look them up on Facebook, man. Dewey Dewbugs. Yep. All right. So uh, let me flash this uh, banner up here too. Uh, this, all, this episode in particular um, is being sponsored by the Department of Marine Resources. Uh, we – how do you want to say it? Joey brokered a deal with them, and we got a couple of episodes throughout the next yeah, few Yeah, partnered weeks. up with them. Yeah, yeah that they're going uh, to kind of have their hand in, involved in uh, coordinating. And this is the first one of those. So I'm also going to go back up here and boop, throw their logo right there in the top corner so we know. Uh, everybody go check them out. You can follow them on Facebook as well. Obviously, you've probably heard of them if you're in our audience. Um and uh, this is one of the topics that they wanted to talk about. So, first, Jason, thanks for being here today, man. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, a lot of questions. Um, we always like to start with the guest uh, backstory. So, how are you born and raised here on Mississippi Gulf Coast? Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm with a name like Soche. <laughs> that's right. I figured, yeah. I figured as such. Yeah. Appreciate y'all having me. Um, I'm, I'm Jason. Um, 
I grew up in Biloxi area, um, lived on Back Bay till I was about seven and then, uh, lived in Wool Market. Um, and so, uh, grew up fishing with my dad. That's kind of, kind of what steered me into this, this career path. Uh, we did a lot of fishing out at Ship Island, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fishing in the bay, uh, in the summertime and winter, winter trout fishing as well. So, uh, got my degree at Southern Miss in marine biology, um, Ended up working in the private sector for a little while and then uh, joined the MDMR in 2014 originally. Okay. Um, and been with the agency off and on since then. So um, uh, working in the Shrimp and Crab Bureau, we deal with those two fisheries predominantly. We do a number of things uh, outside of just direct management of mm -hmm. those two fisheries. But um, one of those things is the derelict crab trap removal program that, that not only benefits the fishery, but the environment yeah uh, and so a uh, super important program where we get to uh, get the public involved uh and cleaning up and um you know we've had a long-standing relationship with the fishery uh where those uh crabbers have helped uh clean up the system as well you know um ensuring that we've got good, good stewardship with the uh with the fishery so um but yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, whoever's running your Facebook page is, is doing a good job. Yeah. I, I've been mm -hmm. seeing that posted a lot. Is this the first time y'all have done that, or y'all have done these plenty of times before? So, so we've done the program since 1999. That's that's when we originally started. Of course, Facebook wasn't around then, but right. uh, we've progressively increased the uh, advertisement of the program. And this year specifically, we've got some additional funding to do that and so um we're trying to get the word out as much as possible so we're making making a concerted effort online mm -hmm. to have a repeated um advertisement of it um and we did send out some uh uh an event um, yeah. um for each day of the of the actual event uh and and francesca's been posting the volunteer uh flyer for us too so we did send out some solicitations to the uh high schools i know a lot of Local schools are requiring community service hours mm -hmm. um, from their high schoolers, so we encourage parents, um, you know, to, to you know, folks that have boats, parents that are that are out on the water anyway. It's a great opportunity to get out with your kids, and they can get some service hours in, and it be a family outing, and mm -hmm. um, come see us when you're done. Um, so we've got uh, basically three sites set up across the coast. Um, one is in Bayou Caddy on Pleasure Street at the boat launch. For everybody that's familiar with Hancock County, they'll know where that is. Um, we'll, we'll be set up there uh, for the three days of the cleanup, as well as Ocean Springs Municipal Harbor, uh, right there by the boat ramp, and then at Point Cadet, I'm sorry, at uh, Point Park in Pascagoula okay. at the boat launch there. So that's historically where we've set up for, for the collection sites. Um, and we encourage the public, you know, if they are participating in the cleanup, that those traps need to come to us there so we can collect the data and they can be recycled. Okay. So that's ultimate disposition of the traps as we crush them and, uh, they're actually recycled at a local scrap metal facility. Really? So, um, and, and I want to give a shout out to Owen Scrap. They've mm -hmm. donated the, the roll off dumpsters to us the last few cleanups at least. And so at no cost to the state. Uh, so they've been a great partner. So I just, I want to make sure that their, you know, name gets yeah. out there. Right. They've been, they've been great. So what time does this, um, what time does the event get uh, cranked up? Yeah. So it's, uh, I should have mentioned those dates. So <clears throat> the dates are the 22nd through the 24th. That's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, 
will be at those sites from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that's when the public can bring us the gear. Um, and um, up until that date, so we've got a closure. You know, the, the crabbers basically have to have time to get the gear out of the water. So, so the crabbers have a 10-day closure. That first t- seven days are the period where they're getting the gear in stages out of the closure area. So just want to remind the public that, you know, they can't pick that gear up until the 22nd, even right. though there might be a closure that's already ongoing. So, um, so there's going to be no active traps, supposed to be no active traps in these areas those dates. So yeah, starting on the 15th, basically the first seven days we're – we're allowing them to get those traps out. So, um, there, a lot of our, you know, our big commercial crabbers have to do that in, in multiple days. They Mm -hmm. just, the vessels can't handle the gear at once. So that's why we have that built in. And it's, it's written in the state statute that we've got to give them a, you know, a period of time there, minimum 10 day closure, but, um, it allows us to, you know, basically give them a grace period, um, to get that stuff moved out. So, until that 22nd, just, you know, everything's still private property at that right. point. Don't go yeah. out rob, don't, yeah. robbing yeah. actual traps. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. We don't so want that. Nothing that, yeah, we don't want any of that issue. So. What's the what's the uh, area that we're focusing on here? So it's anything within the first half mile of the mainland basically is going to be closed. So all of your near shore areas. So if you if 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 you're familiar with the shrimp line, those those folks that are you know grew up shrimping, they know where the half mile is. Mm-hmm. It's, that buffer is there for those folks. It's generally that same line, but within that is what's going to close. Everything south of that line will stay open. Okay, and so uh, we did send out a press release, and this is also on our website. I'd encourage folks. Uh, if you know, if you need to know specifically around the bays where you can and can't pick up traps, if you'll visit our homepage, right on the, be- you know, right when you get to the homepage, yeah, Jerry's gonna link it here in a second. The banner, the first banner uh, picture that pops up is the derelict crab trap removal program. You'll see a, a big, you know, uh, photograph of a trailer. You on the wrong page, bro. That's the Department of Wildlife. <laughs> it's MD. No, yeah, it's MDMR. DMR. Yeah. yeah. They're a great agency. Too. Yeah, I, that's the first. Uh, all right. So explain what a derelict crab trap is for people who don't understand what that yeah. term means. Yeah. So so the word derelict, um, it it generally means any any um, gear that's not in service. You know, that's not being currently used by the fishermen. Right yeah. So if you click on that banner, mm-hmm. it'll yeah. it'll take you to our our web our webpage for the program and there's some maps there yep. that'll help folks. Perfect. I got it so right the here. shaded, the red shaded areas are the ones that we're going to yeah. basically uh, close flash down. Flash them up. First, I'm going to do, I'm going to oh. drop that link in the comments. Anybody watching on the live, if you want to pull it up on your phone um, or the replay, you can. And then, yeah, I'm going to share this real quick and you can kind of, we'll talk to this about this for just a second. We'll get into Joey's actual question here. Hold on yeah. one second. Okay. So boom. Let me go back. All right, so it takes a little bit of a delay here for you to see it. Um, that looks like Biloxi Back Bay. Yeah, hold on. It'll come up. And I think I clicked. Yeah, there we go. All right, that's Bay St. Louis. That's Back Bay. So pretty mm-hmm. much all of Back Bay, Fort Bayou. Mm-hmm. And we, and we drew that, that half-mile line at the mouths of all the bays based on the CSX. So that, you know, that line. And we got some lat-long coordinates on there. Uh, in those zoomed in maps for mm-hmm. folks 
because there's a there's typically a lot of effort in that area so those points that you see there num that are numbered those uh -huh. dots uh -huh. if you look at the top of that map there's a coordinate that goes with that right and i'm, I'm kind of getting into the weeds but that's oh, go ahead that's a you know that's important because in you know that's the mouth of the pascagoula those areas typically have a lot of crabbing effort and so we want to make sure folks are only cleaning up what's actually within the designated cleanup area and we're not picking up um active, you know, trap. active traps yeah. so um we certainly encourage volunteers to visit the page that way they can get that information or they can come visit us at the site check in before they go out on the water that back day bay's, back bay's got a lot of red yeah you can roll Luxie pretty much everywhere yeah. in back bay yeah pretty so much. so all of the bays and rivers are closed um and that and that um is is great areas for for our volunteers to go you know it's a protected area you know regardless of if it's a windier day you can get in some of these areas we know there's some visible traps in some of the marsh areas that are blown in right um and so a lot of our fishermen are aware of traps that that are in their area that they that they fish in so we do we we do get calls from those type folks and um you know, we encourage them to go out and get them. This, yeah. this is the time to do it. So. I think I think your well, your question was just what, to tell us exactly what a derelict crab trap is. Yeah, so derelict. It's not. It's it, the term's been used like with abandon. It's not necessarily abandoned. So it's kind of a misconception that that the derelict gear is you know is there at the fault of the fisherman, and that's not always the case. A lot of times, what we see is. Um, gear becomes derelict because of storm events right mm -hmm. so what will happen is a lot of times if we get windy conditions the traps will roll over on their own line enough to sink the cork okay mm -hmm. and they lose them that way or they're blown into the marsh under you know big storm tides we'll see them blown up against the marsh or blown up on the beach mm -hmm. so yeah. situations like that or lines get cut yeah and so a big thing that we're trying to advocate for for the fishermen uh, now is for folks to be more conscientious when they're navigating around pots mm -hmm. because people don't realize sometimes that, you know, the cork is not directly over the pot. Yeah, it just there's depends on what the tides do. That's right. Yeah. And there's usually enough line attached there so that they can accommodate mm -hmm. the tidal fluctuation and storm events so if they get wave action you know you get three to five foot seas those floats will actually pick up pots and they'll, they'll set them back down on top of the rope so they usually put out maybe five to ten more feet of line than they need and if the tide's running like you said your your trap line may be at an angle like that right. so you're you think you have a safe distance of maybe five feet and that's probably not safe in all cases, depending on mm -hmm. the, the depth that the skag of the motor is. So we tell folks to get to try to stay 15 to 20 feet yeah. off the pots at least, because you don't know actually where that pot's sitting compared to, compared to the float. So, yeah. um, nobody wants that. No. Yeah. In the, in the do do, do y'all have, um, I guess this is kind of on topic, but is there a, a regulation for the float of a crab trap that, that they're supposed to have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is a minimum diameter size uh, regulation. It's got to be six inches. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's got to be marked with the information, uh, you know, about the license. fisherman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically the trap, you know, tags got to be in the trap with the fisherman's name 
And then if you've got a, whether it be a recreational or a commercial crab license, that number's got to be on the float and then the MI number or okay. whatever state registration number, unless they're painted. Um, right. And that's a situation for crab, for commercial crabbers. You know, they'll register a paint color. A lot of the offshore traps, you'll see a, a certain paint scheme and that that's marking that pot to that individual. Really? We have that registered uh, with our enforcement folks so they can identify whose it is based on the colors. Right. I didn't track. know that. So, I didn't either. Not that part. Yeah. So it's an easier way because a lot of times the if you write on a cork, I mean, y'all know how it is in the marine yeah. environment. Yeah. It doesn't stick around. So uh, most of them put on the tag, they put their name and a phone number. And that phone number is there in hopes that somebody that may find it will call them so they can get their gear back. Right. But that's not a requirement in the law. It's just that they have their full name on there. And a lot of them put their commercial or recreational license number in the trap, too. Yeah, that makes sense what you said about most of them being, like, storm-related. Because that's somebody's (laughs) money out there Mm -hmm. to just, you know, let it go and not retrieve it. You know, it's usually, I'm sure they want that back. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the prices, just like everything else, the prices of traps have gone up tremendously in the last few years just because of the cost of materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the average cost of a trap, from what I understand, is between 50 and $60 a trap. Yeah. So if you think about a line of even more than 25 traps, that's a lot of, that's a big that's investment. A pile of money, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, some of that loss, you know, may be from storms. And they can't help that, and we can't help that. But, you know, the stuff that we can help is just trying to avoid, you know, incidental cutting of, of lines. So, Yeah. What is the uh, process to, to find these things, especially with a volunteer group like you're asking to come out? Obviously, if it's sitting on the bank somewhere, that's an easy one to remove. But are we going right. trying to find the ones that are underwater? I mean, how? Yeah, so, so we do have a couple of programs where we're going to try to target some not easy to retrieve. Okay. Um, pots but um we do we do try to plan the event the public event in the winter um for a couple of reasons but one of those reasons is to take advantage of the winter tides and so uh we try to look at what what weekends uh we might get a bigger tidal swing and the tide and the low tide occurs in the morning okay so that some of these traps that are in shallow areas will be maybe partially exposed and so folks can get in they're kind of tough to get into in the bays because everything is mud bottom so you you know you if you if you can see the trap you're it's going to be tough to get a boat in there unless you got a uh, john boat so um we do it for that reason um obviously the ones on the bank are the hopefully you know everybody can help with those easily but a couple of the other programs that we've got um in the works um are using drones to um locate traps that maybe not are not are right on the fringe of the marsh not Mm -hmm. right on the the edge but are inland Mm -hmm. uh and in the areas that we can't see from a boat or from a roadway and so um we've done it um with some folks from coastal extension uh just at one site uh they've had a program where they've been um flying over deer island Mm -hmm and um, identifying just a lot of different types of marine debris, including derelict uh, fishing gear. And so um, they basically provide us with the data to uh, go out there and pick them up. Because, right. you know, only the staff can pick up during, you know, an open season. So um, we can't just have anybody go go pick up traps when it's open. And that's why we have the derelict mm. 
uh, crab traps around a crab cl- closure, right. seasonal closure. So, so there's no accidental grab yeah, on somebody's yeah, property, right. right? Yeah, because just based on the way that st- state law is written, um, it doesn't allow for the general public to pick up even an obviously derelict trap because really? it's still private property. Even if it's all smashed up on a beach, don't right. mess with it. Yeah, that's right. And right. that was that was written by the legislature years ago to protect crabbers because they had some, you know, they probably had some issue going on where people mm. were stealing traps and just claiming they were derelict or whatever the case was. But um, it was to protect the crabbers' investment. Right. Um, and so uh, the the program that we've done with or, or that, that MSU Coastal Extension folks had on Deer Island was very successful. Um, we were able to go out and get a number of pots there. And so our idea is to grow that to other areas uh, and ha- work with those folks to be able to uh, fly over, you know, uh, in a standardized manner, certain estuaries, you know, and cover a larger area, identify the traps, and then we can go out and get those that wouldn't otherwise be located yeah. or visible uh, in the marsh. And then the other program uh, that we've done on a pilot scale is uh, subsurface recovery using side scan sonar. Mm. And so uh, a lot of folks, I mean, this is readily available technology now for even, you know, anglers, you Mm. know, using it. Guys have it on their kayaks now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's a a huge tool for for fishing, but also for identifying crab traps. I mean, it lends itself to that. So... The definition is is high enough to see that you've got a, you know, a square or rectangle on the bottom, and that helps us identify in certain situations. The the technology's limited in some ways, uh, or at least the the stuff that we use as far as you know where you can use it. It's got to right. be certain conditions, certain depth. But what we'd like to do is is um, systematically go through certain watersheds and identify all of it and come up with a better way of retrieving. So what we've done in the past is, you know, basically we use grappling hooks mm-hmm. yeah. and, and you're just blindly um, trolling, trying to get it. Yeah. Out. Throwing it. What, what your boat has just passed. You know, mm-hmm. if it's mounted on a train, it's a transducer mounted on a transom. You're not seeing the gear until the vessel is actually passed it. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, it's, it's sort of a, it's gotta be a well old machine with the, with the, field crew mm-hmm. to say, you know, how, what distance do I need to throw it off this direction of the transom? Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's, there's some other things we can look at as far as retrieval gear that we're going to do some experimentation and testing of over the next couple of years, uh, and maybe, um, be able to more easily pick up that stuff that's subsurface that we can't get during a public cleanup. Yeah. So, um, what's the, what's the reason for people that, you know, maybe hearing about this for the first time, other than the obvious, I mean, it doesn't look good sitting on the shore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, snags for people fishing, possible yeah. trawl. Like if it, you know, was mm-hmm. to float somewhere where it shouldn't have been to begin with. Is there any prop other... hit it? Boat yeah. prop, yeah, yeah, all of those things for sure. I mean the the other thing that that any derelict fishing gear can cause is is ghost fishing. Yeah. So you know they can continue to fish, and we don't want that. And they and they do to a certain extent, but after a while. You know, what we see with the gear that's been in the water for a long time is it forms habitat is, is what it does eventually. So it recruits oysters um, and it and it decays enough where it's not actually fishing yeah, gear. Yeah, right. We've picked them in it or something. Yeah. So it, it gets encrusted so much or filled with mud that, you know, we'll pick them up in trawls and trippers will too. But mm-hmm. we'll pick them up in our uh, scientific trawls and it'll be full of other things and not necessarily that are trapped in mm-hmm. the gear. So. 
it does eventually become part of the environment, but we want to, in the, in the interim, you know, try to minimize the amount of ghost of fishing or, um, the aesthetic issues that you mentioned and the, you know, the d- potential to damage a vessel or yeah. a prop if it entangles, you know, in the shallow system, if it's right below the surface, you're not going to see it, especially mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with that area at low tide, you're not going to know to look for it. So we're trying to prevent that. Yeah. You know, sa- public safety is a huge concern. So we went to Venice about a year ago and, if you don't know where you're going down there, you're running in, I mean, you're running tiny, tiny water. Mm-hmm. Dude smashed one. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It sucked the whole crab trap into the prop. The prop oh, was yeah. mangled, destroyed. So mm. it's a bad yeah, yeah. situation. You don't want yeah. that. For sure. Definitely yeah. don't want that. I know one of the things that we've learned just in doing this podcast and talking to your organization, all the different bureaus inside that y'all have. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff that your bureau does specifically? other than just this event sure yeah so i mentioned we do manage the the two fisheries the blue crab fishery uh and and the shrimp fishery in mississippi waters um our crab fishery stays open year-round so we don't really look at closures other than for this type of an event Mm -hmm. um with the shrimp fishery we all know we have seasonal closures built in yeah statutory closures that occur at the end of december for inshore waters and then a portion of offshore waters close at the end of April. Uh, so what we do in the spring, one of our big tasks is to uh, to do our trawl sampling okay. starting in April. Um, we do uh, sampling twice a week at, at fixed stations across the sound to monitor size and growth and abundance of specifically of brown shrimp. And, and what we're trying to do is build a data set to determine the appropriate date to open the season right? so that we can provide that recommendation to the director. And so that's a big effort for us in April and May. Um, like I said, we go out twice a week and do that. Um, and basically what we're doing is we're projecting, using linear regression, we're projecting when brown shrimp will hit legal size okay. so, uh, so that we can try to um, open the season appropriately so that they're not catching sublegal and not as marketable shrimp. Um, and we're not waiting too late either, you know, if yeah. it's an early season. So last couple of years, we've had some earlier opening dates in the historical average in late May. And that's, you know, our brown shrimp, if, you, if you're familiar with the life history of shrimp, most shrimp species, uh, as they mature, are moving offshore. Right. Okay. So they, you know, they recruit into the estuaries as post larvae, and then they move offshore for spawning uh, as they become adults. Okay. So we only have brown shrimp in our waters accessible to our bay fleet for a short period of time, relatively speaking. And so we want to make sure that they have access to that resource while it's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not always that it's the biggest shrimp, but if we were to wait to allow them to grow some, we might lose them. Uh, and so they, you know, it's a, it's sort of a different fleet that operates in the Mississippi Sound than the fleet that operates in federal waters, or it is yeah. a different fleet. I mean, there's no two ways about it, but um, those federally permitted boats have access to those shrimp year round when they're bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, that's their spawning grounds and, you know, when they're adults, they're out there. So our, our folks that are, that are trying to sell shrimp off the boat, the smaller boats that you see at the hard rock and at at OS Harbor and pass Harbor, those are the folks that we're trying to make sure they have access to the resource as soon as it's ready. Yeah. 
uh, and we're protecting the crop as well. So that's a big program that we do. We also do some fishery independent monitoring year round um, that, that not, is not just useful for monitoring blue crab and shrimp abundance, but also a lot of our fin fish stuff. Um, so a lot of our managed fin fish species that we care about and that we you know actively manage that we have size and bag limits for, we're looking for early life stages of those fish so that we can inform stock assessments. And so uh, we that do. That goes into limits and stuff like that's that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we want to monitor trends in abundance and that kind of thing. And so a lot of times they'll establish an index of abundance by size class. And so some of our gear, um, you know, is specific for smaller size classes. And some of the gear that we sample with is for bigger size classes. So, but we, we uh, assist with the smaller size class um, gear. And that's the trawl gear. Um, and then um, we've been doing some experimental trawl sampling in the bays with some smaller trawls to try to find them where they are yeah. in the system. Um, so we, we do that year round. That's a long time, uh, long standing data set that we manage. And then there's a couple other special programs that we're involved with um, uh, special permitting. Any of the folks that do research in, in our marine waters down here. Um, anybody that collects brood stock for aquaculture purposes, anybody wanting to use experimental gear, um, anybody wanting to harvest underutilized species, there's a special permitting process that, that they have to go through with us and we manage that program. What's experimental gear? What would that be? That would be... This is like that snapper stuff that they have now where they're trying to release them to get them to different depths. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, or specific, more specifically, a gear that would be for harvesting. So uh, maybe a trawl that's not currently legal okay, uh, or a shrimp trap would be an example. So, you know, there's certain gears that are allowable by law in, in, in Mississippi. And for shrimp, you know, it's defined in statute what you can use. And if it's not listed there, you can't use it. So okay. if somebody wanted to uh, use a gear like a trap or a different style of trawl that's not currently legal, they would have to get a special permit to do that. Otherwise, they'd be you know, in breaking a law out of compliance with gotcha. the law. So gotcha. that would be a, a situation or another type of gear, uh, for harvesting fish, you know, some sort of a net that's not currently legal mm. or some sort of a, you know, just some, some sort of a gear that otherwise they would be out of compliance for using. Yeah. So, um, but most of those permits are special permits. We've got so many, uh, researchers in the area, folks that are not in the area that come down to do research. Uh, a lot of your um, folks that do specialty like ecotourism stuff like Bluxy Shrimp Trip, mm-hmm. y'all have had them yep, on before. Yep, yep. So they get to do, uh, you know, the, the ecotourism uh, trips on that boat in areas that are otherwise closed mm-hmm. right. to shrimping. You yeah. know, and they they do that under a special permit. So um, that, that's, you, that's y'all. Yeah, okay. that's right. So we, we just manage the program and the, it's ultimately up to the executive director um, you know, on those permit decisions, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of mm-hmm. there to coordinate the program and inform him. So, um, so that's another program, uh, live bait, um, licensing, all of our local live bait shops, um, have to go through an inspection process every year when they get renewed, uh, when their night license is up for renewal. So we handle all those, go inspect the, the bait shops, their boats, their transport vehicles, uh, and then we also provide technical assistance to them throughout the year, you know, as we can. So uh, we're involved in that program. Um, and then we've also got a staff member that's involved with, uh, as a coordinator, 
with the sport fish restoration program. So a lot, all the states get funding uh, through uh, sport fish restoration funds mm-hmm. to to do projects in their state, you know, based on what the needs are. And so we get funds for the marine waters in Mississippi to do projects, whether they be research, habitat restoration, outreach, education. And so we help um, coordinate that, make sure those projects are in conformance with the rules of the program. And yeah report on it and make sure funding is spent we had, properly. We, we had a comment come through. Uh, your name didn't show up, whoever sent it in, so I can't shout you out, but it said they had They said they uh, had no idea how much goes into shrimp protection. Uh, they've been buying them off the boat for years, so mm-hmm. uh, we yeah. appreciate the comment. But, yeah, that's one of the cool things about doing this, and we've talked about it before, is getting to know, like, you know, people see y'all out on the water doing the patrol side of things and then mm-hmm. when regulations come out but there's so, y'all do so much more than that and there's so yeah. many different bureaus departments right uh, inside of it that that i like people to be able to hear that right yeah. yeah it's 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 a it's a part of the agency that's not as recognizable hopefully we'll help with that a little bit mm-hmm. with the with the you know coming on and talking with y'all about it absolutely um but you know a big part of what we do you know the fishery independent stuff i mentioned but you know interaction with the stakeholders is super important so our fishermen to know what's going on in the fishery and how can we better manage you have to stay in tune so you know we try to we we do that through there is a program where we collect data from our commercial fishermen and then we do collect data uh with the creel surveys yeah from our wreck fishermen but um you know there's always opportunities to interact with them uh on you know on a basis of what are things like economically in the fish in the fishery and yeah. things like that and, and our shrimp fishery is a great example of a fishery that's undergoing a lot of stress because of import prices mm-hmm. um basically dropping the market value of the product or right. of the resource yeah. so you know it's a situation where it's super important for our our consumers our local folks to be more conscientious when they buy shrimp whether it be it you know for them to cook at home or from a restaurant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize when they get it from a supermarket, you know, it might have a country of origin label on it. Um, but there's, you know, there's some nuances to those laws. So it could be, you know, it could be an imported product that's um, processed in the U S and they can get around it, right. you know, breaded shrimp or something like that. But to avoid all that, you know, buy direct off buy the local. boat. Yeah. yeah. It's so much better I mean, too. People Pressure. Don't, yeah. Yeah, they don't realize I mean all the imported stuff for the most part is is farm raised and and there's a lot of things they put in the water. It's mm-hmm. pretty gross. So there's a lot of antibiotics and other things they have to do to to you know minimize mortality in those super Condensed, high density yeah. ponds. Yeah. And so, you know, the majority of the stuff that's hitting the market in the US is coming from those areas. But we're right here on the coast. We have access. Most of the folks in the middle of the U.S. don't have that access. Mm-hmm. And and it's relatively cheap compared it's to other seas. extremely cheap is the way I look at it. Yeah. For those guys, that's some hard work. I know. You know and they it, don't it, have it, a it costs a fuel and nets and everything on, like that. On so. that stuff, yeah. I've told it on the show before, but I was at a local grocery store who I won't name, but I picked up a bag of shrimp, and I, I just so happened to think to ask the guy, like, the, the you know, attendant was standing there. I'm like, are these Gulf shrimp? And he was like, no. no. And I put it out of my bag. I put it right back, and he goes, I get it. And yeah. I'm like, you know, and they, I walked they off. they try to trick you, too, because they'll be like, Louisiana-grown shrimp. And you look on the box, 
product of Thailand. I'm yeah. Like, man, come on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, it may have been brought in and, and processed in Louisiana yeah, or something yeah. like, like that. Like you said, they're so. going to skate. They're going to nuance the hell out of it. Yeah, if they yeah, can. yeah, for sure. So, and, and, you know, at restaurants, it's, it's tough. Um, at restaurants, I understand that side of the argument. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's about the bottom line for the restaurant owners. Yeah. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, we should be more concerned about keeping our local folks employed right. and keeping that, you know, that historical fishery going. I mean, it's part of our mm-hmm. heritage yeah. here. Um, and it's, it's getting harder and harder for these folks with, with the increase in price on everything else. And then there's a, you know, still a, you know, basically a flat line market value on the shrimp mm-hmm. from the nineties. So, um, I just, you know, that's the only thing we can do is encourage folks to be more conscientious yeah. and, and buy local. Go like shrimp, that. baby. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say about the, uh, population of both shrimp and crab? Could you speak to either one of those? Like how do they fluctuate just within the last year or two? So both of those species, in essence, not so much with crabs, but with shrimp, it's an annual crop is the way, is the way that it it's, should be looked at because the species is very short-lived uh, in the case of our Panaid species that we catch here. And so they're managed as such. So, you know, that's why we have these seasonal closures is to protect next year's crop. Mm-hmm. We look at it like that of we don't want them catching anything that's sublegal because they can't sell it anyway. Right. And because we want to preserve it till it's more marketable. And so our landings data shows, you know, that we're right on par with the five-year average as far as shrimp landings. Um, but the value was down like 40% from, from the five years. So the value is really the issue. It's not a, it's not a market-driven, well, it is a market-driven fishery at this point. It's not an effort-driven issue in the, as far as, fishing effort goes as far as where the population is with with the short-lived species either so environmental conditions have a lot to do with your annual crop species success or not you know Mm non-success in recruitment and so it really comes down to a lot of factors like localized rainfall right so in the case of you know the body carry yeah so you know the freshwater uh intrusion from bonnie carry had a huge impact on recruitment that year which which more than likely had long-lasting impacts to our brown shrimp fishery for a couple of years after that but we do see cyclical changes in abundance in crabs and shrimp Mm -hmm. usually a three-year cycle or so and those usually you can tie to uh, climate conditions. So lo- localized rainfall, whether you had a wet or a dry year the prior spring, for instance, with crabs, a wet spring generally results in a better harvest the next yep. year because they have better protection mm-hmm. in the spring when they're juveniles mm-hmm. from predators because everything eats small crabs, mm-hmm. uh, everything else in the water. It's, it's the opposite with shrimp. A dry spring that year causes higher salinities you know a mild winter higher higher water temperature causes good recruitment for right. that summer and so you usually can tie it to those things okay um that's kind of like the boom right now with oysters crawfish are so high because of the drought that we have but oysters are thriving because the salinity is so high mm-hmm. yeah. yep and so with with i don't i don't have any personally any concerns with either one of the fisheries as far as biological concerns okay you know, um in the crab fishery you know i think 
the abundance is cyclical there. The and the biggest thing that drives that fishery is when there is a is a higher demand because of a low uh, harvest on the east coast. So a lot of our fishery here in in on the northern Gulf, the market value is driven by either the lack or the abundance of crab harvest on the east coast, and and, and so a lot of that drives the market. There's a lot bigger consumption in Maryland and areas like that of blue crabs. Okay, believe it or not, than there is on on the coast. I mean. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it, 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 they have a lot stricter, uh, fishery regulations up there because they've had issues where, where they've had population, not collapse, but, but issues with their population abundance where they've limited to, you know, basically a quota mm -hmm. and shut down fisheries. And when that happens, there's still a huge demand up there. Right. So we drives up the know. price. And so you see an increase in harvest there because you have an increase in effort. Yeah. But the prices have been good in, in the crab fishery continue to increase. Um, and so we've seen some good years yeah. recently there. Is there, any, is there any science that knows why blue crab tastes so good? You to figure that out? <laughs> they're delicious. There? I don't know. Their, <laughs> their name is, uh, their Latin name is beautiful swimmer. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. They beautiful, taste beautifully, tasty especially swimmer. on top of yeah. a steak. <laughs> can you, uh, can you talk a little, um, regulation as far as blue crab, like legal size, what you actually need to harvest them as a recreational fisherman? Sure. So, so if you're going to trap fish, if you're going to use a trap, then you do need a recreational license. Um, and so those licenses for residents, Mississippi residents are $5. Um, and they can be bought at our office. Um, they're good for a year from purchase date. Uh, and that allows you to run up to six <clears throat> traps recreationally. Um, plenty. That's plenty. Yeah, that's a lot of crabs. Yeah, um, that's that's even off your own pier. You're still supposed to have. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, unless they have. So there's some ex some exceptions to that. If you're a senior exempt license holder, right. or if you're a lifetime license holder, mm -hmm. um, then those those are included. Okay. That 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 tax is included in there, so it's, you don't have to pay additional. So so if you you got a lifetime license, you put that license number on the trap. Um, or if you're a senior exempt license holder. Right. You put that license number on the trap and you don't have to buy a license every year. Um, so uh, if you don't use a trap, if you're using a drop net um, off the seawall or yeah. you know, off your pier, you don't have to have a license okay. for that. So uh, legal size on crabs is five inches for hard crabs from tip to tip on lateral spines. Uh, no sponge crabs right. at all. Soft crabs can be any size. So if you if you do get lucky and find a sponge crab, it doesn't matter the size; it can be small. Soft crab, uh, soft crabs yeah, only, yeah, and yeah, they yeah, need yeah. to be kept in a separate container. So put yeah. those in your ice chest. Right. Um. Don't put them in the basket with the rest of the crabs. So, um. What What's the purpose of that? Because it's a different size. Yeah. yeah. So it just tells the, if, if an enforcement officer comes up to the boat, then they they know that this is my soft crab okay. container. Yeah. And, and that that's really made for the commercial folks that that mm -hmm. may have a few. Mm -hmm. The like likelihood of you having more than one right. is yeah. very slim, as you know, recreational. But um, that's for those folks that can identify peelers, really. So the commercial guys can can identify the busters, one, the busters and yeah. the peelers. Yeah, they can identify whether they're a white or a pink or a red line, and they put those in that that um, that special container mm -hmm. off to the side because they're going to shed them out, you know, okay. within the next couple of days and put them on the soft shell market because yeah. there's a lot higher price. That those are delicious so. oh yeah They're yeah mm -hmm. um what about the traps do they have to you have to have the nameplate on them do mm -hmm. they have to, uh, the, a lot of the ones i have have the little round 
escape orange, rings. Yeah, escape rings. Coal rings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that is required by law. A lot of the traps being sold now have them in there already because uh, I think most of the states are requiring those. And those are uh, to allow for some of the bycatch to get out, but it's also to allow for the smaller undersized crabs to get out. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least into a certain side. It's not, it's not a hundred percent. So you still need to measure your crabs, but those escape rings are required on the side walls, one in each compartment. So if you got two compartment trap, make sure one in each, we give those out for free at the office. Um, so if anybody needs any, if they get, have old traps and they don't have them in there, they can come up there and get, get, get them if they need them. Um, and the name needs to be in the trap on a tag and the cork needs to be marked with the vessel number and the license number. Of course, you don't need that if you're tying them off a pier, right? right? Yeah. Well, no, you do. You, you still do. need the cork? You still need the cork and that's for enforcement reasons just to identify there's a trap in the water. A okay. lot of people don't know I that. I did not know that. Yeah. But it is it is required. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. Even though it's still tied to the pier. All right. So just does it need to be sitting in the water though? Like in other words, drop it down to the to the mm-hmm. height of the water, even though it's tied to the pier. Is what you're saying? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would tie it to the trap and just have it attached on a separate line, or Got just have it sliding you. up and down the the gotcha. dock line. Gotcha. Learn so, something new every yeah. day. Yeah. That's, that's what it was all about. I <laughs> yeah. bet there's other people in the comments that didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Not just you. You're right. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear though. You say the fishery shrimp and crab is is good. It's not. There's not really an issue there. Like there's the the the, the populations are good. That, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, the populations are good. It's just the market issue, which is you know global economics at this point. Right. So uh, I hate it for the local people here. Like you said, it's such an important part mm-hmm. of the heritage of the Gulf Coast. But, but you can help. Yeah, by not yeah. going to the certain right. grocery store and buying shrimp in a bag. Go go to Ocean Springs uh, Harbor or go to and they're Hard out there. Rock and get it. Yeah, yeah they're That's out right. there. It's fresh off the boat and uh, it's amazing. So uh, they're delicious. Yeah. What it, What about? Uh, let's mention the event one more time yeah. before we wrap things up. And there's okay. there anything else we haven't touched on other than? So we didn't touch on one thing. So we do have yeah. we do have something for folks that show up oh, uh, nice. to our event um, nice. this year. Uh, we try to give our volunteers something, but I don't know. How to show that yep, where it, it shows is. up? You got on it right, right there. Nailed so, it. so that's the front. This is the back. Um, that's pretty sweet. So oh, we're going to give these that out cool. to uh, all the volunteers that show up, all the contributing volunteers that show up this year to the event. Uh, nice hoodie. Um, basically, we just want you to show up and 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 uh, bring us a trap or bring us a lot of traps uh, yeah. if you can. But uh, we'll have those for everybody that shows up. Um, and then on Saturday of the event, we'll have lunches as well. We're going to try to do box, box lunches for everybody that shows up on Saturday. Or if you can only work on Thursday and bring us some traps, come back out on Saturday and get your lunch. Yeah. So I, 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 we, I don't think we asked this yet. What's a normal turnout as far as the amount of people that participate and traps right. removed? Yeah, so, so we usually get – we. I think the last event, we got a right around 300 okay. traps. We're That's trying to lot. beat that this year. Yeah. Um. Over the history of the program, we've collected over 22,000 traps wow. since 1999. And so that's that's been a few few of those events were really big events. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got, you know, if it, if it follows a storm event, yeah, I would say that probably then you're going to have a large influx. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they had a they had an event in 07 that was real big. Um, and that was after after Katrina by mm-hmm. a couple of years. But mm-hmm. um, but it's been very successful. Um, and, and we hope to get more than the 300 this year. And so we encourage folks to come out and help us try to beat that number. 
Um, we usually get about 100 vol- volunteers. Okay. I'd like to beat that again. Mm-hmm. The same thing there. Um, and we're collecting data when we when you bring us the trap. That's why it's important to bring it to our site so we can collect information about it, like condition, location is super important because it helps us know where the hot spots are, where these things are collecting. Because there are some hot spots mm-hmm. where, you know, if you're fishing in a river um, and they get a big storm event, it rolls these tra- traps down the river, especially the ones that have lost the cork, mm-hmm. and they usually pile up on up. shoals. Yeah. And so if we know where those areas are, that'll, that'll direct our subsurface recovery efforts a lot more effectively. And then we do record information on bycatch and things like that. So we can know what the impacts are. Yeah. Is there a place on y'all's website or maybe even the event, if some, a fisherman is out there, they're not going to do the event, but they know where one is or coordinates or something like that. So we, we are working on an app, um, that folks can report it to us uh and and that's not in the works but in the meantime if they know where they are they can call us anytime um and and um i don't have my email necessarily with me they're welcome to email me but if they go to the shrimp and crab homepage, they can find that or they can just call our general number three three seven four five thousand and ask for somebody in shrimp and crab and explain to us where it is and we can go get them um, and so we always encourage folks there, but we are working on an app, so it'll be a sort of a real time reporting citizen mm-hmm. science program. Cool. Yeah. They can take a picture of it and you know, it'll, it's through, it's through Esri or ArcGIS. So, so it'll have a map there where it drops a pin where you are and you can just say to use your current location mm-hmm. and it basically tags that and we know exactly where to go to get it. Yeah. Um, so, but that'll be rolled out in the near future. Uh, we'll add that to the derelict page. Um, and they can find it there. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's in the comments below, so y'all go <clears> check out the event February 22nd through the 24th, uh, and go see if you can get a cool hoodie. Clean yeah. Up the environment. Yep. So. Yeah, give us the times again on that. Nine to four. Nine and to we're going to be at Ocean Springs Harbor, Pleasure Street Boat Launch in Bay St. Louis, or on Bayou Caddy, and then Point Park in Pascagoula. There it is. Well, Jason, we appreciate your time for yeah, coming out, it, dude. Man. Thank uh, y'all. Great conversation. Thanks, everybody that tuned in. And uh, let's clean it up. Let's get them removed. Yeah, let's get them out of there before you catch it on your boat, prop. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> y'all keep tuning in. We'll keep doing them. We'll see you on the next one. Later. Thanks so much for checking out the show. We really appreciate the support. If you haven't downloaded the Brownwater Banter app yet, go do it. It's free in the App Store and on Google Play. We have everything covered for a day out on the water. We've got the tides, the radar, tails and scales app. We've got a radio station right inside of it, and it's all free. All of our content is in there. You can listen to the show directly inside of the app. Make sure you keep your notifications turned on so you can stay in touch with us as we go live with guests in the future and plan events. If y'all keep tuning in, we'll keep doing them. We'll see you on the next one. Brown Water Banter.